Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Today's fee-for-service podcast, I'm Dr. Sonny Spiro. Welcome. Our guest, Dr. Dale Fidel Spatafora. Dale Spatafora. He's in a small town of Hermitage, Pennsylvania, about 16,000 people. My kind of guy, small town USA and first-generation full-blooded Italian. Great story about his journey from a small practice in a little strip mall the place got destroyed by a fire, how he rebuilt, and how he changed his mindset to, I'm going to be a fee-for-service dentist, and what he did to make that happen. Total consummate professional, loves continuing education. You're really gonna enjoy this. Stick around, listen, like it, subscribe, etc. Today's podcast brought to you by Kettenbach. Imagine one product for every cementation protocol. It's now available. It's a hydrophilic adhesive cement and a hydrophobic core material. It's combined into one product, so it's naturally called SEMCORE, Vesalis SEMCORE. Experience why dentists bond permanently with Kettenbach's all-in-one adhesive cement and core buildup, Vesalis SEMCORE. Call 877-532-2123 or visit Kettenbach-dent.us. Enjoy. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns. And I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today, we have a new friend of the program. He doesn't know he's a friend yet, but we just talked for five minutes. And when you talk with an Italian after five minutes, you're pretty much family. So that's how it works. So our guest today is Dr. Dale Spadafora, S-P-A-D with a D-A-F-O-R-A. His hometown is Hermitage, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour north of Pittsburgh, population about 16,000. Born and raised in the area, he's a son of immigrants. He's a first-generation, full-blooded Italian. You know we'll talk about that. Uh, Penn State grad, so he's a Nittany Lion, 86 Biology. Okay, I was Syracuse 85, chemistry. University of Pitt School of Dental Medicine, graduated in 1990, did a GPR in Youngstown, Ohio at St. Elizabeth. 
Been in private practice since 1992 in Hermitage. AGD Fellow Master LLSR in 2016. ICOI Fellow 2009 and Diplomat in 2017. He's completed curriculums at the Dawson Advanced Studies, Spear Education, Implant Education, and Mish Implant Institute. So my man is getting after it. I love it. Very active in Pennsylvania AGD and the ICOI, board member of the PAGD, along with many other things. Outside of dentistry, loves soccer. Got it. Of course he does. Coached high school soccer, and he's a Penn State season ticket holder for the football team. Loves photography, music, and his latest passion is homemade brick oven pizza. Now, that's from the old country. I love that, man. All right. Wife Deanna, children. Isabella going to the University of Colorado MBA, and his son Sergio is at Penn State in the biology degree. And he is a fee-for-service dentist, and we're going to talk about how he got into that because he didn't start that way. So please welcome Dr. Dale Spadafora. How are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I stalked you a little bit on Facebook. You you had made a comment, and I was like, wow, that's an interesting story. So <laughs> you're going to tell your story today. I'm really excited. So first off, what was it like? Just growing up, first-generation American. Had to be tough. Had to be Italian in the house. Did you live in an Italian neighborhood, Italian markets, all that stuff? The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. Yeah, I uh, grew up in a town called Farrell, Pennsylvania, Steel Town, um, okay. this same area. Uh, at one time, really, really big on uh, high school basketball, seven state championships. Um, that's Farrell's claim to fame right there. Um, and, uh, you know, grew up basically in the blue collar family. Uh, my dad uh, worked for uh, Wheatland Tube Company. He was actually lucky and blessed to have a nice job working in a in a laboratory as a like metallurgist without a college degree uh when he retired it was the only person in the lab without a college degree self-taught um pretty much and um we grew up in the in a small house in Farrell, pennsylvania um the upstairs my dad fixed up to rent out to um to rent to rent the house out to help pay for the mortgage Sure. And until the age of about 12, it was me, my sister, my parents all sleeping in one big bedroom, which was once a living room. So uh, that's how we got our start. Um, my dad was really good at spending his money and saving. And then he had a dream of building his own house. So we moved to Hermitage, Pennsylvania, and he and I built a house together. <laughs> And uh, so from the age of, that was in 1980. So I uh, stayed in that house for a couple of years before I went off to college. So um, yeah, it's hardworking uh, Italian family. And um, you know, to this day, I feel like um, um, I, I'm, I'm doing this for my parents. I really am because I don't want to feel like they came to this country uh, in vain. I want them to feel that uh, there was a purpose in what they did because they sacrificed quite a bit to get here. So, yep. 
Noticed that. Fuel yeah. for my fire. <laughs> I love it. So, so what was it like around the dinner table? First of all, did you guys have the family dinner and then you waited till dad got there and then you had the dinner? And... Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, you always had family together, not like nowadays where you're coming and going. Yep. But uh, it was family dinner. And then we had the um, traditional Sunday dinner. Um, the and, Sunday uh, gravy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, we call it sauce here. But. <laughs> no, my, my folks, my grandparents called it Sunday gravy. So that meant you had the brujol, you had the sausage, you had the meatballs, all mixed in the sauce, and that was on top of the pasta. Oh, yeah. There was always, you know, me and my mom were like, you know, red sauce pasta fans, but my dad was more like a minestrone type of fan. He liked really. More- Yes, yeah. Mm. He said I grew up my whole entire life with red sauce, so I he, I prefer minestrone, so that's what, what he typically ate all the time. Um, so, uh, but it was you know typical Italian Sunday dinner. Um, you know, my dad was one of the rare immigrants who came to this country that was wanted to embrace the American culture, the American culture, American music, and mm-hmm. I had some relatives that weren't so much that way; they were stuck right. in their you know, yeah. So my dad, you know, uh, my dad spoke and wrote English very well. Actually, he did. He did. Uh, he did real well with that, and um, and acclimated to this type of lifestyle that that he was looking for. So, yeah, yeah that's that's got to be a big help. So so you're in. So talk a little bit about what did they pass on to you? What are some of the things that they would share with you? Like, what were the messages? Uh, obviously, your education has to be an important factor. Uh, I mean, you know, what were some of the influences that they made sure that that you had that maybe they didn't have? Well, you know, it was always like, you know, do well in school. You know, that was always important to do well in school, study, uh, get a good education um, and not have to, you know, do the, in our area, manufacturing steel town, two sure. town, really big. it was like, get out of that lifestyle. You know, don't work like my dad would say, you don't want to grow up and work like a jackass, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. get a college education and, and make something of yourself. And so he instilled that upon me, but you know, just following just how my dad was and how hard he worked, and it just it just rubbed off on me just naturally. Work ethic. Yeah, yeah work ethic. strong, strong work ethic. Um, you know, I, I still have that. So, um, you know, there there was times that I need to be pushed here and there, of course, like all young kids do. But um, for the most part, I I, I honestly want to say that I, I I feared that if I didn't do that, you know, there would be repercussions too, you know, but no, but anyways, it was, um, that, that's pretty much how I grew up. You know, so. were you the first professional in your family? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. So was I first call. I think I'm the first college grad. I'm looking, thinking, yeah. So my dad was the oldest in his family and I was the oldest child. So, um, I was the first like grandchild. So yeah. Mm-hmm. First college educated you know, child. Yeah. Interesting enough, funny enough, it was my dad that kind of pushed me into going into dentistry. And I pushed back at the time because of what? Of course you did. What's the work of people's mouths all day long? What kind of job is that? You know, but um, 
you know, I thought at the time, I know I like science a lot. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. my favorite subject. And I thought, oh, maybe I want to be a doctor. Maybe I want to go into medicine. But he kind of talked me out of it. You know, he told me about the sacrifices that I have to make with being on call and early rounds in the morning and, and how it would how it would impact your family. Yeah, and impact the family. So he thought it that was, was a, the same thing. The Doc Sites provides affordable and effective websites for dentists with no long-term contracts, transparent pricing, and great customer service, starting at only $59 a month. They also provide optional online marketing packages to help increase your online visibility. For special offers, including up to 25% off your website setup, text fee for service to 818 489 This is a limited time offer, so text now and lock in your savings and visit Doc Sites for more information. Interesting. Wow, how cool. He said, you should be a dentist. And I was like, why? And he said, it'd be a better lifestyle. And I had no idea what that meant because I was 13 years old. So I was like, okay, dad knows. All right, I'll be a dentist. Yeah. And I and anybody I talked to was just like discouraging, like, oh, you'll change your mind, you know. Right. Like, oh, that's cute, kind of thing. And I was like, what the hell? You know, like what's wrong with these people? Why why are they discouraging me? Yeah. You know, but he definitely didn't want me like 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 in your in, in, in your in your dad's defense too, he didn't want me to work for somebody else like that. He kind of always instilled in me kind of, hey, you want to drive your own car, you want to, you know, operate your own ship. My dad said the exact same thing. He said, you want to be your own boss. Oh, how many times he, he, you know, my dad had a good job and everything, but I remember him coming home one day and he was really frustrated about something. You could see he just was, you know, quiet and face was red and we were sitting down to eat and he looked up at me and he goes, whatever you decide in life, be your own boss. Trust me when I tell you this, be your own boss. And I didn't even ask him what happened that day, but something went down. <laughs> so uh, I always yeah. thought about that. Yeah. 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 My dad talked a little bit. He got a little bit in the military. He's like, no matter what you think or do, you're always going to only be as, as kind of as good as they teach you or allow you to be. And you want to have a little more control, I think over your life, but the lifestyle thing, I, I, I totally dialed into what he said now. I get it. I didn't get it back then, but you're right. Like I see some of my physician friends. I'm like, you know, good luck. I'm, I'm done. I'm, my day's over. My emergency. What's the worst that can happen? It's a tooth, man. You know. Right. Right. I thought that many times when I was, I used to coach youth soccer. I coached my kids playing soccer, and then went up to the high school level, and I was able to coach them. I was able to attend every single game. Um, <laughs> you know. I, so I can go to the office and say, hey, yeah. I'm out at 3 o'clock next week or yep. usually I schedule ahead of time. Uh, there aren't too many occupations where you can do that. You know, in full-time and I, practice, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and if I was a physician still, it would have been much more difficult to do. So mm-hmm. it gave me a lot more freedom. So so, so you, you go to Penn State. At what point did dentistry become, not on your radar, but become like serious? Like that was going to be your path. Wow. Um, I can't say that there was one compelling moment. When I went to Penn State, obviously I majored in biology and, um, you know, I was hoping I had the grades to cut it for dental school. Um, and uh, 
because I wasn't a 4.0 student. So I'm like, I, you know, hope I can get in here. But um, even when I applied and got accepted, I thought, like, is this really what I want to do? Like, and I'll be honest with you, um, after I graduated, I can't say that I was super thrilled about the profession. I really wasn't. I thought this is this is going to be really tough, and I'm not even sure I like it that much. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I did my resume. Yeah, I I had that eureka moment, which kind of like will lead into the whole fever service thing. I think. Um, how, how did you? Uh, how how many schools did you apply to? Then let's just say that how many schools did you apply to? I can't remember how many I applied to. Um, it might have been five or six. I think okay. I can't did remember. You, did you stay in Pennsylvania? Did you do Temple and UPenn? Yeah, I wanted to do. I, Definitely Pittsburgh was my preference. University of Pittsburgh was sure. close to home. It was in state. Yep. Yeah. So when I got accepted there, um, that was it. I knew that's where I was going. So um So yeah. talk about talk about your first year, which usually is horrific scholastically, and you were lukewarm about doing it. So what when did you uh get in the vibe? I'm not sure. My uh my first year was tough, you know, it was um a lot of commitment, um, obviously, as, as every dentist listening to this podcast knows. Um, <laughs> I still had the vestiges of the old... Some got chills right there. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> the vestiges of the old school dental brigade, you know, the instructors that uh, that that you tried to avoid. Yep. Uh, the ones that weren't, um, you know, they're not the ones that pad you in the back. They're the ones that kind of were... A little bit demeaning um and so you know throw you throw that at you and then you're thinking like what you know what, what is this my is this boot camp is this the military um so the first year was tough but fortunately i made some good friends you know I had some uh great classmates that i made friends with uh we were close to fitzgerald field house we had a gym right up the street tennis right in front of us the the uh the stadium uh pit stadium across the street so we had we had a nice good social life to try to balance out the hectics of dental school which was nice so that that really did help balance things out um quite a bit now when you're in dental school did you uh did you think about any of the specialties while you were there as you got into it a little bit more i thought about it there was you know i thought about prost and that surgery but nothing really pushed me to say that's 100% what I want to do. I pretty much was set on becoming just a general dentist. Yeah. Now you can I, do as much process and surgery as you want. This is, this, this is, this is, this is amazing. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think about that all the time. <laughs> I'd rather do it than send most of it out, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you finished, you you did a GPR, and it, it wasn't required, right? Like, at right. the time, because I graduated 89, and I remember I applied, and I said, do I want to do this or not? And I chose not to, and I went into practice. Um, what were your thoughts doing that? So I that was one thing that I knew for sure I wanted to do when I was in yeah. school. Because I felt like, even though, uh, you know, we got 
some pretty good training in dental school. I was no way ready to go out and do a molar root canal. I was no way ready to go out and do a third molar extraction. You know, there were a lot of procedures. I was definitely uh, removable, forget it. Maybe dentures, yes, but partials. Um, I, I just felt like a GPR was gonna be very beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, especially on the surgical aspect of it. Our GPR didn't do too much crown and bridge. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of extractions, a lot of surgery, third molar extractions, things like that. I had a I had a really interesting program director, and uh, and he was an old Greek guy, and he'd bring us into his office, tell us to shut the door, and he'd light up a cigarette and and, and preach to us, you know, because you weren't allowed to smoke in the hospital. But yeah, yeah. and uh, and he called everybody Crow. You never remembered everyone's name. Everyone's just Crow, you know. Uh, yeah, it's kind of demeaning, but <laughs> so like but, an acronym uh, or what is that? You know, sit down, Crow. Let me let me let me talk to you. Let me <laughs> tell you something. But he did say a few compelling things. He he once said he said you're in this program now. Do as much as you can do here in this program. He goes, if you want to even experiment, go ahead because you're never going to be able to do some private practice. Yeah, try yeah, to nice, learn, nice umbrella. Yeah. yeah, and try to learn all the disciplines that you can. So do your root canals, do your thermolars extractions, you know, do as much as you can now, because when you go into private practice, there are going to be days where you're going to have holes in your schedule and you are going to be happy that you're able to fill it in with these procedures um, that many dentists are referring out. So go ahead and learn and do this now as much as you can. So I thought, okay, this is cool. And, uh, we did do that and probably a little bit more. <laughs> we had a patient who fractured his premaxilla the night before. Um, one of the one of our residents was on call. And uh this is something we probably shouldn't have done, but he he told the guy to come into the clinic instead of like referring him to the oral surgeon. And he came into the clinic and he said he's it was only like a couple hours earlier, um, before the start of the day. And he comes up to us laughing. He goes, I got this guy, he fractures premaxilla because I think we can wire it shut right here in the office. And we're like, are you crazy? We're like, you're going to go to jail. Remember the advice. <laughs> sure enough, he, he wired that guy's premaxilla back into place. You know, it just wires and banding the teeth and kind of winged it. <laughs> it actually ended up peeling pretty well. But yeah, so we pushed the envelope in a few but hey, that's the way you learn, I guess. <laughs> Probably had good occlusion. You did. You did. Yeah. yeah. And that's one so, of the things uh, I remember working with an oral surgeon. I was an extern. I was still in school. And he was a big proponent. He says, you know, ENT, plastics, these guys all want this, this trauma. But they don't have any clue about a bite. Person comes in with a nice class one occlusion. All of a sudden, they leave in there and... Class three on the left, and they're you know open bite on the other side. They don't care; just they're healed. They don't they don't have any. They pay no attention to that. So that always kind of stuck with me, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was so, a good. It was a good program, especially for surgery. I'm glad I did it. It was helpful. So I I, I see that you did you did the Mission Institute right. You you did a lot of implant educators and stuff like that. So. So did that had to really light your fire in terms of that aspect of dentistry, right? Yeah. So what what really changed everything? Um, 
maybe the residency did a little bit, but we were um, allotted so much money to do uh, continuing education. And as a resident? As a resident, like it's like $250 that they would pay okay. for. Right. So um, at that time, I was dating my now wife and girlfriend at the time, and we were, uh, and I was looking for some program to do. So I, I had, saw this brochure and it was in Florida, and the doctor's name was Dr. Earl Estep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of advertising, heavy advertising. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. He had a Earl Estep, Earl Estep method. Country yeah. Gold, it was his newsletter. So I'm like, okay, this just sounds like a good guy. Two-day course. I asked my my girlfriend and our wife, like, if you want to take a, a ride to Florida and take this course. And I took the course. It was my first CE course, really outside of dental school and my residency. Mm-hmm. And that really did something to me. And I came back to the pool afterwards. My wife's hanging out the pool. And I said, I am totally blown away. Like dentistry could be done in a, in a so much more exciting fashion. I said, this is, I said, I need to do more of these courses. This is amazing. So that kind of lit my fire to do continuing education. And, um, after that, I did a course by Robert Nixon. He was the, one of the first guys to do like porcelain veneers out in California. And I can't remember who else I did, but I, I was, and I think maybe that was the first time I saw Bill Strupp, I want to mm-hmm. say around that time. And I had since seen Bill Strupp several times after that. Um, but then um, that kind of lit the fire and got me going like, hmm, I mean, dentistry could be more than what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like where things got started right there. So, so what did you get now? You, you graduated and you finished the residency rather, excuse me, you finished yeah. the residency and what did you do for a job? What did you do for your career? Yeah. So um, at, I was working at a dental clinic a couple of days a week. Uh, not fun. And then I worked in Pittsburgh two days a week out of another dentist's office right on Forbes Avenue. And this was how many the, days a week? Three? You said? Two, two, two. Excuse me. Okay. Two. And it was on Forbes Avenue. I was working out of his office. So he was not there those two days. He was at another office himself. And um, so, you know, I didn't know how to get patients at the time. So the, uh, the University of Pittsburgh school newspaper was called the Pitt News. So I put an advertisement in there for third molar extractions. I'm thinking, you know, these, these are college age kids. They need their wisdom teeth taken out. Mm-hmm. So I put an ad in there. I just did my residency. We did tons of third molars. And I, that's pretty much what I did for like a whole year. It was just third molar extractions out, out of this office. And, and so, you know, some restorative work, not much. So uh, I was doing, and, and then in the meantime, I was looking at possibly going in as an associate with a practice or possibly buying a practice. Sure. So I was kind of, even though I was doing some dentistry, I was kind of, my long-term career path was up in the air at that time. Yeah. What, what did you settle on? So you're doing the two days. Did you fill in three or four other days in another office? Yeah, like two days at the clinic, two days down in Pittsburgh. So it was about four days. You know, just wait, about, wait, what clinic? Is that the clinic you're talking about? No, 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 I'm sorry. This was a clinic in our area. This was okay. uh, in our in our hometown. Yeah, there, there's a dental, uh, kind of like a more of a more or less of a Medicaid clinic. Sure. Yeah. So, like an underserved population, et cetera. For sure. Yeah. 
So you did that two days. You did the you did the wisdom teeth two days, and then did you work the other days, or what did you do? Yeah, just four days. That's it. Four days. Okay. And what and what were you what were you thinking? At what point were you saying, like, what were you what were you formulating for your future? What were you thinking about your future? Right at that time was to find a uh, a dental practice that I can go in as either as associate or purchase in the Pittsburgh Greater Pittsburgh area. That's actually where I was looking. Right. And I did, there were some there were some offices that I did look at um, that didn't really appeal to me or was mm-hmm. outside the price range at the time that I wouldn't want to pay for. Sure. So um, I got a call one day from a local dentist in Hermitage um, uh, that it was another dentist. It was a dentist's daughter who called me and said, there is a practice in uh, for sale in town. The dentist is working by himself at this time. He's in his 70s. And um, he's looking to get out. And now this was his daughter's calling you? It was his friend's daughter, which I don't oh, know wow. how that okay. happened. But, you know, kind of strange. But um, Hey, whatever so, works. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, the dentist was, unfortunately, his mental health was failing. And uh, so there were some things going on that they thought they better Make sure. Well, that's probably out. why people are reaching out, right? Trying to help without. That was a big part of it. Yeah. Stepping over them, right? Right, right. Um, so I said, I'll, I'll check it out. You know, I don't really want to go back to Hermitage. You know, my wife was working in Pittsburgh. I love Pittsburgh. So I was hoping to stay in that area. So I checked it out. It was the, the dentist was working out of one chair. They had two chairs. The one chair was just a chair. Well, actually, it was a room to hold his pit memorabilia. Tony Dorsett helmet, Dan Marino. There you go. That's my oh, guy, Dorsett. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had that. Yeah, he was um, he was a band director at Pitt for the for the marching band. Wow. So um, he that was the one room. <laughs> this was memorabilia room. There was a dental chair there, but and then the other room was the room he worked out of, and it was the the equipment was old, antiquated. Uh, there's no sterilizer. There was, you know, very, 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 very small place. Okay. Uh, I saw it and I said, uh, yeah, I'm really not interested. But at this time I had nothing to go by. So I thought if I can get this pretty cheap, maybe I can work a day or two out of here. Who knows? You know? So, um, I had it appraised and it was appraised at, at $5,000. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, um, now what they wanted was a little bit more than that. Not much, but a little bit more than that. And so I decided to buy this practice. And um, that's how it got started. Okay. One room dental practice. And I actually, oh, maybe I can't remember how many weeks or months it was. I literally worked by myself. Like I would de-glove, get up answer the phone, schedule an appointment, come back, re-glove, and work on the patient. Did that for yeah. a short period of time. And then I hired my sister to work the front desk and to help me out. Um, but she was going to school at the time herself, so uh, she couldn't do that full-time. And um, then eventually I hired somebody else um, to come in, and then I hired an assistant, so then I had two girls in there. And I, um, 
you know, this, this, this dentist that I took over for, he wasn't doing much. He was doing ventures, right. extractions, and fillings. That's it. So Did he, he own the building? Pardon me? Did he own the building? No. It was in a plaza, second story of the plaza. Oh, like a shopping plaza, really? Exactly. Yep. Wow. So that, at that time, and this is 92, 93? Yeah, yeah, 92. Yeah, at that time, that's... That's right. That's a different setting. Most most offices, I'm guessing, in those small towns are in like re reconverted houses, yep. amongst, you know, allergists and then ENT docs and right. Yeah, this this was mixed use. It had some offices. Actually, there was uh, four or five other dentists actually in that building. In the same building. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And there dentists in that building. There was a theater that was in the back. Uh, there was a bookstore side of me, and then okay. at the store on the other side and a few others yeah a bridal shop was right below me and so that was my start real small real real what small. did you settle on for a price um i think it was twenty thousand. Twenty. okay that they Do you what he was off. doing like what what kind of revenue was coming in i think the last year that he was here it made thirty five thousand. <laughs> he made 35 that was a receipt 35. that was that yeah. was his receipts uh, yes, yes. Yeah, you pay you paid a little extra for that memorabilia, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that door well, said helmet. You better put that on eBay. <laughs> I, I tried to get that, but uh, <laughs> he took that all with him. <laughs> oh shoot, there's some value in that stuff. All right. Yeah. So so your plan initially was let's go in, let's grow this right where it is. Yeah. You know, like again, I thought at first like, you know, I was telling my my wife or my girlfriend at the time that, yeah, I'm just going to put a couple of days in here. I'm still going to be looking in Pittsburgh. Okay. But, you know, there was a lot of dentistry to do. There was a lot of dentistry to be done. There was a lot of mm -hmm. things that were overlooked. But in this dentist, you know, in, in his day, I'm sure he was great, but there was a lot of work. I could, again, there was no crown and bridge, no yep. pair. It was just amalgams on amalgams. That's it. The whole, mm -hmm. the whole thing. Lots of partials. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So at that time, um, the fire was lit in my belly from some of those continued education courses I was doing, and I just kept doing CE. I just kept digging deep, traveling, going wherever I can to learn more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And I knew at one point that I was going to get out of this dusty little practice and, and build a practice of my quote-unquote dreams. So I just kept working hard and working hard, uh, getting to that point. And um, along the way, I had several dentists that, and you know these guys, Bill Dickerson, Hornbrook, uh, Larry Rosenthal. Yeah, the big Francis. aesthetics guys. Yeah, yeah these, are, these are guys that were, um, at this time, they were riding the wave of cosmetic dentistry, uh -huh. you know. Um, all ceramic crowns, all yep. lay, inlays, um, things like that. Uh, I think at the time I already had taken a Pete Dawson course or two, and that was also something that just blew me away. Um, yeah, in fact, I did my first Dawson course was uh, before 1998. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking like I'm this would be my dream to have my practice in my dreams to eventually become a fee-for-service dentist. Because I was looking at what these guys were doing and I'm thinking, there's no way 
that I could be a participating dentist and do some of these procedures. There's right. No- can't afford it. Can't afford it. Can't afford it. And you, and and you I was- didn't want to compromise. You didn't want to compromise on what you wanted to do. I didn't. And I, you know, and, and when you talk to these dentists, none of them were, were, um, you know, PPO dentists. They were, they were all like fever service, you know, and they would preach it. And the more I thought about it, it's like, I really want to do this cosmetic work. I really want to do these type of procedures. I want to be able to, you know, do equilibration, whatever. And there's no way I can do this as a participating dentist. It, it just, it didn't fit into the dream of what I wanted in a practice. Um, so, so you're in this pre- you're in this building five years then from '93 to '98. So I was there to '98, but I didn't leave, you know, in '98 on my own. So uh, um, around that time, uh, I had my my daughter was born before my this is before my son was born, and um, I was looking at getting out of there and looking for office space to grow. Um, now, let me ask you a question. At what at what was your practice at, at that point? What were the numbers, if you remember, ballpark? It might have been maybe three hundred or something like that. Right. So, yeah. from a thirty-five thousand dollars practice in five years, you're at three hundred. Yeah, okay. yeah, something. Still like two that. operatories. Still two operatories. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, right. Yeah, we cleaned out the other operatory and, all right, and got some butts in the chair. That's all right. That's good. Some, yeah, we did. Yeah, and all just right. at this point. Two staff members. That's it. So an assistant and front desk. Gotcha. Um, and one of the I read a book by Bill Dickerson at that time called the Front Deskless Office. Yeah, yeah, I remember that Front Deskless Office. That was like the, the I, hotel in Hawaii that you, you <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's something I still practice to this day. Uh, everybody in my office cross trained. Everyone. Um, so we'll probably get to that in a little bit. But yeah, so 1998, uh, uh, May 8th, 1998, I'm home. Um, we got my little daughter. She's like one years old. Um, I'm hanging out. It's a beautiful spring day outside. <clears throat> my my assistant calls me and says, hey, me and my dad just drove by the plaza and there's smoke coming from the roof. And I said, well, how bad? She goes, it's pretty bad. I said, well, they're doing some repairs up there i think they're putting a new roof on i think i said that's probably what what's going on she goes you may want to just come take a look at it yeah. so that's, that's, that's not the roof from shawshank redemption <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so at the time was um you know my brother-in-law and one of my buddies was over and i don't even know why they were over that day it was like a monday uh but like i said it was a nice spring day so i told my wife i said and said, I'm going to go shoot over there and just see what's going on. And I said, you know, hopefully none of the smoke gets inside my office. You know, this is, this will be horrible. So I get there and uh, wouldn't you know it, the uh, bridal shop right below my office, there's just black smoke billowing from that, that, uh, that office. It was right below me. And, and I, I didn't make it home that night until about two in the morning because I basically watched the whole plaza go down in flames. Oh my God! It just it it wasn't just smoke damage. The whole thing goes. The whole thing burned down. It was Oof. it was that year, nineteen ninety eight, the second biggest commercial fire in Pennsylvania. And my office was part of it. <laughs> oh, that's not what you want to be in the papers for. No, nah. 
Well, good thing I didn't start it. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, um, yeah, that was my, um, it was a defining moment in my, uh, in my life really, but especially in my professional career. Um, now let me ask you, did you have decent insurance? I did not. Oh, so when I bought the practice, um, oh. I got yeah. insurance. Uh, the insurance appraiser came in there and says, you don't have more than like, you know, $12,000 in this. I said, okay, write me up for 12,000. I said, well, I'm going to come and upgrade this place. You know, we're going to do upgrades and whatnot. Well, I did the, up I did the upgrades, but I you never changed your policy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it was funny because I'm until <laughs> yeah, late that night, my insurance adjuster was on site and he said, Dale, he goes, I just went to go look at your policy and I, I got to see what we can get because I, I don't think you have more than $12,000 on this. And I said, please, whatever you can do, you know, see what you can find out. But um, the only, the one thing that did have was a rider on um, loss of income, like a loss of income insurance. So if you were out of work for so many days, they would sure. try. Yeah. But um, business interruption insurance business interruption policy. Yeah. Yeah. It did have that. But as far as, the, you know, covering uh, equipment and damages, $12,000. That's where it was at. So quite a bit was lost that day, <laughs> to say the least. Okay. Um, so, so what, so what are your steps? What do you got to do? So I think everybody in, in, in their lifetime says, if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. And I went into kind of, you know, a lot of people go into panic mode, but I went into like survival mode and um, formulated kind of a um, uh, war zone room in my living room of my house. We got a computer in there. I had papers laid out, phone numbers, everything. And okay, how do I get this going again? How do I get my office running again? Um, I had at that time, I was, I had um, scheduled a Pete Dawson course in Cleveland. It was called How to Put Your Practice in the Top 10%, something like that. Sure. Very common. Yeah. yeah. And this was like three weeks after the fire. And I told my staff, I said, we are going to this course. So when we went to the course, um, I had, there was a part of the course that said, you're going back to work on Monday, write down your ideal dental office. And me and my staff wrote out the script for the rest of my life, right then and there, right on that piece of paper up to how many days we want to work, what type of, you know, what we want to do with insurance, what type of, you know, what type of practice we want to be. We wrote it all down. They still have it somewhere, but we wrote it all down that day. And I, I told my, my, it's one of my two girls that were with me. I said, this is the template, which we're going to base my future office on. And that was it. And one of the things that was written in there was become a fee for service practice, complete fee for service practice. And well, that's what you came up with with your team. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the things. And then amongst some other things that we talked about. Well, uh, what were you didn't really describe. What were you prior? What were you as you grew to 300? What were you doing? You know, I was just, there, there was a lot of dentistry that needed to be done. So I was insurance based. Um, and uh, of course, 
But so, you were a participant with multiple carriers, or you just what 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 would you say? The the multi, the carriers that were pretty much important for our area, you know, United Concordia, Delta Dental, MetLife, they were probably the three primary ones. Okay. Participate so with you were in network. In network with all of them, yeah. Gotcha. So yep. now that, did that mean you accepted their payment as payment in full? Yes. Yeah. Which in your in your case, ballpark, what was it from your net from your full from your standard fee? I don't know, but I remember at the time it was maybe 30%, you know, 30 to 40% I was giving up at the time. Yeah. So but I, 60, I 60 to 60 to 70% of your, your standard fees. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So you're giving away a third of your practice then. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It was at least that if, if I recall 30, yeah. to 30. I mean, that's real. That means one out of every three patients is being seen for absolutely free. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, interesting way of putting it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like if you think about it, really, that's yeah, it's a harsh reality. So, it's, so you, so that's your epiphany, that's your moment. But you're still three weeks with no office, correct? Correct. So another, you know, there were some things that came about about as a stroke of luck. There was a younger dentist in town, and he had bought a couple old dying out practices and then he was going to a plaza not the same one another plaza himself <laughs> hopefully not though yeah he, he he squared this and so he was working out of this this old practice two days a week and then he was working at another practice two days a week and then eventually he was going to be in his own practice full time he i was standing out in the parking lot the next day after the fire um talking to um I don't know. It was like some city officials. And he came up to me, shook my hand, said, sorry about the fire, blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen, he goes, I've got a practice. He explained to me the situation. He got the practice that uh, I'm in right now, two days a week. It was a dentist, another older dentist was in town. He goes, if you want to hop in there two days a week for a while, and then eventually have the place to yourself. If you talk to a landlord, I'm sure he'll work with you. He goes, I, I really want to sell that equipment out of that practice because I don't need it. So I said, can we go over and look at it now? He said, sure. So went over there. I looked at this equipment. And I said, how much you want for it? He goes, I'm going to get it appraised, but it's probably going to be like $10,000, something like that. I said, okay. I said, I want it. I said, let's do it. I'll be here two days a week. And, um, and, and then when you're gone, I'll be here full time. It was an, another older office, maybe a little bit bigger than what I was in. Um, but it was a bridge. It was definitely a bridge. So with, with some with some runway in front of you too, right? Because he's going to potentially leave. So this could be a long term solution. Abs absolutely. So mm -hmm. this this office had three rooms instead of two. So it's a little Ooh. bit yeah, fifty percent so, increase. Yeah. Right. So long story short, we get in there the two days a week. And then I think it was six weeks later, approximately, I was in there full time. And now I'm six I'm weeks. In, You're in there in six weeks. About six weeks. Yeah. But let's 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 frame it now, because at the three week moment is when you decided you're going to change your world. Sure was. Yeah. So did you implement that in, in week three and a half? Um, the first thing that I did was look to hire a hygienist. That was on my list. I never had a hygienist at that time. So I said, I'm hiring a hygienist right off the bat. And okay. I didn't do that right off the bat. Um, I didn't go 
fee for service right off the bat. But I, but a lot of the things that we were at that time working every other Saturday, we were working Fridays. Yeah. I said, we're not doing that anymore. We're not. Well, Friday was what we used to call big case day. So if we had a yeah. big case yeah. Friday, not a bad idea. Yeah, it was just the you know. But other than that, we were just working those days a week, uh, the hours that we wanted to work, um, all the all the things that I wanted to do. I wanted to. Um, it was really early still for websites, but I wanted to get my own website. I wanted to yeah. create a logo, like you know. You want to plant your flag now, man. There was yeah. a lot of things that we thought of. Yeah, some of them like not so integral to the practice, but these are just. You, you, you're thinking dream practice here, right? Yeah, you want to grow your own tomatoes in, in our culture, right? <laughs> right, right. So now I'm, I'm in the building, and I, I mean, I finally am able to start practicing again, but this is not my end game. So, again, yeah, another probably piece, bit of stroke of luck. Um, there was a developer in town that was going to build a professional building. And he already had two tenants in there, uh, an, eye, an eye doctor and a pulmonologist. And they were looking for a few others. He knew some of these people got pushed out in that fire, so he reached out to us. When he told us where it was going to be and his envision of the place and plan and everything, the only thing I told him was, I want windows in all my operatories. You know, I want an office where I can have windows. Otherwise, count me in. And Now, did he want a tenant or did he want a co-owner? What was his plan? Well, at that time, he he wanted a tenant. Okay. Again, another stroke of good luck. I'm going fast forwarding here a little bit. Eventually, we were able to buy our own suites. So I yeah. know my. So it's a professional yeah. building with five tenants in there. There's another dentist, um, and um, so there, yeah, there's five of us, and 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 I own my own suite now. But I how many square? How much? What's your square footage, and what, what's your layout? What's your what's your uh, physical plan look like? I have 1850 square footage. Okay. Four operatories. Yeah. Four ops. I have a, a consultation room. Yep. Um, and then uh, staff lounge, lab, sterilization area, um, my private office. Um, do you do, do you do a fair amount of lab stuff? No, not too much. Not much? Okay. No, not too much. Just right curious, because with some of the things that you're doing, I could see, you know, surgical guides and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, Sorry. all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not too much. All right, all right. So, when do you make this jump from the the smaller practice that you bought for ten thousand dollars? Which, by the way, very shrewd move, in my opinion, very shrewd. <laughs> yeah. um, because uh, you already have, if half of the practice comes with you, that's one hundred and fifty, and he's out, and you know some of those patients stay. You're gonna you're gonna grow that three hundred right away, just because you have more space and more capability. Sure. So, uh, so talk about now when you go feed for service. You said you hired a hygienist first. How did you do it? Did you did you tell those folks, listen, I'm out of plant, out of network? What did what was your transition from point A to point B now to get out of network? Yeah. Um, I think what I really wanted to do for sure, and this was in the back of my mind the whole time. I want to get out of network when I get in this brand new office. That's what I want to do. Oh, that was your kicker. Okay. That was my kicker. And I didn't want to do it before then because perception is reality. This mm -hmm. new office um, mm -hmm. was designed by the same guy that redesigned the Dawson Center um, and Dawson's 
clinical office area. He redesigned the whole thing. And he was from Cleveland, which wasn't far from me. And I thought, this is, I'm going to call this guy. I'm going to use him. And so this is an independent designer. This is not part of Ben Coershine or Patterson, correct. whoever, right? This is an independent correct. designer. Dennis. And I got, when I did that course, that top 10% course in Cleveland, yeah. um, uh, who was the, who's the person that runs the show from Dawson? I can't think of her name. It'll come to me. But um, I talked to her. She talked to Pete. Pete came up to me during the break because, like I said, I already taken had taken some of his courses. Huh. He came up to me. He says, "I'm sorry to hear about your dental practice." And uh, I said, "Yeah, thank you." And any bit of advice you have, I'm looking at building another practice. He goes, "Come to me at the next break. I got a phone number for you." He's the one that's redoing the Dawson Center. And he goes, and he's from this town, Cleveland. So I thought, okay, this is great. So this guy comes in later on. So yeah. So talk to the the landlord that was building the building. And I said, can I do my suite how I want it? He goes, sure, you can do whatever you want. I said, awesome. This guy draws up this dental plan. And I said, listen, I want this to look like this. I want this office to blow you away when you walk in there. I mm-hmm. wanted to, I wanted to 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 be a striking looking dental office. And I don't want it to, to look like your quote unquote dental office. It's got to, it's got to have a unique look to it. He drew up an amazing design and, and we went with it. How many, how many renditions did you go through just by ballpark? Honestly, not that much. Really? No, not that. Well, you're not a normal dentist, man. You're just not normal. We would go over that thing, move it, put the closet here, do this. Right. Here. Like I wanted television monitors on the right hand side, yeah. but on the left hand side, yeah. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Things like that. Like I said, I wanted windows and all the opportunities. I didn't want my patients staring yes. at all. I wanted them. I'm, to- I'm totally on board with that. And that's what yep. we have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this vision. I really, it, it, I had looked into it for a long time, even before the fire, but I had this vision of how I wanted it to look like. And uh, the designer blew me away with it. He, he was great. And um, so I got this beautiful dental office. Um, I am now, you know, my thought process is I am going to practice state-of-the-art dentistry um, in this little town of Hermitage, Pennsylvania, and provide services and care that nobody's doing around here. Yeah. That was that was my goal. There's your niche, yeah. yeah. That was my niche, and um, I, Sonny, I was in that place. I got in, so the millennium, uh, year two thousand. I moved in the Christmas between Christmas and New Year's, nineteen ninety nine. So in the new millennium, I moved into that office. Five months later, I dropped all insurance. Five months. Five months later. Okay. Now, so, t- so talk now, about your plan. How it, was you, a, it, was, it was not a cold drop. It was right. not a what I had been doing for the past year, at mm-hmm. least or so, was talking to my patients. Yep. Yeah. So letting them know that setting uh, the table. You know what it is. Everyone's listening to podcasts know what it is. You know, we give them the spiel, you know. Um, one of the things I learned early on. And some dentists asked this on on the um, the Facebook page. Um, what do you say to the patient? Mm-hmm. I learned this early on that it never brought money up and never brought up reimbursements because every patient thinks you're rich. 
Oh yeah, you're making too much money. Anyway. Yeah, they don't care. They don't. If you tell them my reimbursements are lower, uh, you know they used to be this much. Now they're even lowering me even further. Uh, they don't care. So I had to talk the language that they understood. And um, but I and, and my approach was like really informal. It would be like, "Hey John, man, your insurance is killing me, man. Oh why? Um, you know I want to do this." this composite resin, you know, white filling on you. And they want me to do silver fillings. And I don't feel like that's the best thing for you or what you may even want to do. So, you know, I, because I'm contracted with them, I can't, I, I don't have a lot of um, leeway here to work with. Now, as you know, there are some things we can do yet. You know, you, you could charge the balance and all that other stuff. I didn't want to deal with all that. Um, so what my spiel was, was that the insurance companies are, um, are putting restrictions and handcuffs on the type of dentistry I want to provide for you. And as long as I continue to participate with them, um, as a restricted provider, I cannot provide you the services that you deserve. And I'm shortcutting it, of course, quite a bit, but that's, that was my spiel to them to try to make them understand that. The insurance companies are only going to approve the procedures and pay for the procedures that they want to pay for and not necessarily what's best for them. So um, that's how I got the ball rolling about a year before during, you know, when they were coming for hygiene or coming for their exams, I would plant the seed. And then I wrote the letter. It was, I think, right after I moved into the office, I wrote the letter saying that uh, to these, uh, to the patients that I was dropping the companies did you so you did drop them all at once then it, it was a little bit staggered i think united concordia was the last one well yeah. that should have been the first one that's the worst reimbursement. i know as united was the last one and delta dental was the next to the last one the other ones were easy to drop you know because they were sm small companies in town and whatnot do you, do you have any idea the percent of your practice that was in those plans that you were in network with mm, at least at least 50%, at least 50%. All right, so, so we'll call it a flat 50. So if your practice is doing, what was it, about about 500,000? What, what were you doing about that? That's, that's a pretty good estimate, exactly, yeah. 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 See, every a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. So you're at 500. So basically, you know, a quarter of a million dollars could walk out the door because you're going to get rid of it. So that's, the, that's just the reality of it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Now, in your conversations with the people, how about your team? Because you said you got a front, you know, there's a front deskless flow. So I would assume that they're having those same conversations. Yeah, they are. Um, it was a little bit, you know, um, it was tough at first, you know, for it was even tough for me to convey to my staff as to exactly how we should present this, you know, how the phone calls should go and how we should present it to them. But they were part of the plan. They were they were with you when Absolutely. you laid that out. So this is now putting it in place. So it's not like, hey, I'm dropping this on you. You're a part of this. Except your hygienist, who's new. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she was uh, with that point maybe a year then. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was a conversation that we had to have with a lot of the patients. And in the you know, in the in the nineties, and it's so much better now, it was in our area, very blue collar area. It there were dentists, there were many dentists, maybe most dentists, 
that were taking what the insurance was going to cover and didn't even submit for copayment, you know? And so we have patients come and say, well, I've never even paid a copay for it. Yeah, I've never had a copayment. Right. That's, that was my first question. The crown paid 50% and they didn't even pay the the balance, you know? And that's even if you're participating, let alone for your service. Yeah. So you had to have these conversations that the patients were going to have copays and they, they were, they were not happy about it. Yeah. How many, you, any idea what you lost ballpark? I don't know, Sonny, what I lost, but I know what I made mm-hmm. and I made more that year. Than oh, of course. Made. Oh yeah. And that's, that's where a lot of dentists get scared when they want to go into a PPE, uh, they're going to go to the fee for service and they're like, they're afraid of losing patients. They're yeah. definitely afraid of losing patients. Well, it's patients. an ego, right? Yeah. I think, part I think of the ego. Part of it. it's just, they like seeing the schedule full. And God forbid, okay, now there's holes in the schedule. Well, look at the bottom line. Look what you bring in every month. And then you can look at the numbers and say, okay, you know, I'm actually doing better than I was before. Well, of course you are. You know. Well, just just take, right, if you do two quadrants of fillings, so four and four, you do eight fillings, and instead of you know, pick instead of be making, let's say $200 per filling, instead of making a, instead of making $1,600, you were making, you know, minus the 30 or 40%, you're making less than a thousand dollars. Right. So yeah. now if you have a fee schedule and you're collecting it all, you can do four or five fillings, get paid the full 200. Right and still be making the same right right and then what that also did for me was okay now i've got a little more extra funding for more continued education biology things you want to hire staff that will you know you know good good staff members not just somebody off the street you know those things compound upon themselves so you you over a period of time you're building your practice instead of like crunching numbers, yeah. which is, yeah. And, and who wants to practice that way? You know, yeah, you instead invest, of you know. reinvest, reinvest into your practice, reinvest in yourself, into your practice. And then the practice continues to grow that way. So, well, let, let me ask you have you changed your physical plan since then? You still have four rooms? Yes. Yes. Okay. What, what, what does your team look like now? You got a hygienist? You have two hygienists now? So, uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. We have a very lean and mean team. Mm-hmm. When I say lean and mean, they are superstars. Um, we're all cross-trained, and um, uh, we, we they work hard. They work their asses off. So um, we have two front desks at this time, one assistant and two hygienists and everyone at the front desk. And we talk about front desk, this office, everyone at the front desk can come back and it happens throughout the day. There's somebody at the front desk that's coming back to either help assist, to help clean a room, whatever. So that's what we're working with right now. And, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough day, but we put in, um a full four days a week <laughs> what's your overhead look like just curious um i will tell you that it's 
um, probably top 10% in the country as far as on the low side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will tell you that for sure. Well, because a couple things, a couple parts of that, right? One is what you're producing, what you're what you're what you're generating, yeah. right? Within this within the space that you have, and the second part is the salary. But you could pay your you could pay really great salaries, but if you're still producing well, that overhead number still gets pretty low. Well, yeah, and you know now that we're doing um, a lot of implant dentistry, yeah, um, and I'm doing. I'm doing a really good fair share of full arch dentistry now. So um, uh, the production, even this past year, the production went up quite a bit. And um, yeah, I'm paying, I'm paying the girls a, a percentage of that. So mm-hmm. um, of the profits from that. So um, mm-hmm. I want to keep them and they're worth it. So I don't mind doing that um, rather than, hiring another associate or bringing on two or three other staff members that may actually, you know, slow the train down. Actually, sometimes it can. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, the, the staff likes it this way. I mean, I think they wish they had help, but at the same token, I think they're happy with the, um, the culture and the atmosphere of the office at the time. Well, there's no slackers. There's no way that that would be acceptable in that environment. Not even close. Not even close. It's total team effort um, from taking out the garbage at night to sweeping yeah. the floors to everyone helps each other out. And um, it's it's a it's a team effort. And that's that's the culture I try to instill in the office. Yeah. Now, where did that that where, where did you develop that? Brand that culture. Where did you say this is what I this is who I want to be. This is who we want to be. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I maybe it was just organic. I don't know. I think I really wanted to. Um, I didn't. I wanted a practice that felt like a family. I did. Like amongst us, you know, me and my staff, and with the patients, I wanted a true family practice. And I feel that, um, you know, like a real family, you mm-hmm. all work together for a common cause or like a sports team, mm-hmm. you know, a sports team, you know, a basketball team. You, you need all five guys on the court. You can't just do one guy. Yeah. I really felt like I needed everybody. We, we needed a, a total team effort. And that was my thought process, a family team effort. Everybody caring for each other, no backstabbers, no gossip. Um, just somebody that works really hard and then gets rewarded in, in the end not just rewarded financially, just rewarded for the the type of work that we do and the service that we provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff, man. So last question, any advice to someone who's thinking about going out of network? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that I would do for sure, there's a, there's several things that I would do to be honest with you. Um, Roll tape. Yeah. Make sure you have a killer staff in place. You really need to have that implemented. If you're in a transition with the staff members coming and going, um, starting a family, it's going to be tough on you. I can't say it can't be done, but it's got to be tough on you. Make sure you have a great staff in place. Make sure you have a beautiful, nice, at least a nice, clean office to, um, to work with. Um, 
this is something I strongly advocate myself. Try to learn all the disciplines of dentistry. Um, I think Howard Fran said it in the newsletter one day um, that um, a firefighter doesn't really want to go into a burning building to save a life. Um, but he's still a fighter fighter, and that's part of his job. Um, if you don't like blood, if you don't like doing second molar root canals, you know, you're going to limit to some of the flexibility on what you can do in your practice. I would say get the training, get the CE to learn all those disciplines. Because if you go fee for service and you drop these plans, you are going to lose some patients. And you want to fill those holes in with procedures that you're able to do, not ones that you routinely refer out. So I strongly advocate continued education to the highest level possible for all these dentists they're trying to. I'm not saying you can't do it. I know fee-for-service dentists that are not doing all those things, but it does make things easier. Um, and uh, so those are some of the main things. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. But I would also say, talk to your patients as you see them at least a year before you decide. You know, drop, you know, a few little hints as to what you're thinking and why you are wanting to do this. I would not talk money. I mean, you might be able to in some way, but uh, they don't care. They don't, they think you're rich. They think you have it all. Um, it's not going to matter. Um, let them know that this is for their benefit and, um, and and do it in your own way and script it in your own way. And I think that's that's going to be helpful. There are so many more things I could I could talk about, but those are just some of the ones that are just coming to me right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I think I think the one thing that you you put out there without saying it with hundred percent, you have to have conviction. You really have to have the mindset. This is what I'm going to do, and we're not going back. And I also, I also, the only thing I will add that you can have a fantastic team, but if you have one that inherently doubts why this is the way to go, that's going to ruin or sabotage a lot of what you're going to do. And you're going to have to separate. Yeah, I, I do believe that. Yeah. I, I think that's, um, I had a staff member is no longer with me who thought, you know, this is hard for these people that come up with this co-payment. This is hard for them. And and they, it's okay. It's okay to tell the patient, you can go to another dentist. If you have a family of five and you barely make it, but you want your children to have, have dental care and you just need to pinch every penny and you need to go somewhere else, it's okay. You know, you don't want to be uh, thinking that you're holier than thou and you're the only you know, you're the cat's meow and everybody should come to you. There are some patients that may not be able to. But what I have found is I have many of those types of families where they come to us because they see the value in it and the type of care that their kids get. And they're mm -hmm. not they're not in an assembly line and you yeah. fill up, throw them out. Like you took your time to get them numb. You held your child's hand. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you followed up. You made the patient made a call to the patient's mother, see how the child's doing. Those little things, they mean a lot to families. And sometimes they will put up, uh, uh, they will be able to deal with some of the out of, um, 
out of network copays, you know, to accommodate. Um, yeah, they're they're going to sacrifice something else. Maybe their kids don't have cell phones. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, sure, right. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put money where they value it. Yeah, I think it was uh, what is Zig Ziglar said: firm and principle and flexible and procedure and practice. Yeah, flexible, flexible and practice. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like one of my mottos there. So yeah, works for me. Um, I also would say that I think this Facebook group is awesome. I think it's a nice little town hall where everybody can get together. Um, and any other type of like study club, you know, some of these study clubs, like this, you know, the I don't even know if they're still around the Seattle study club, Spear study clubs. A lot of these dentists, there are a lot of people service dentists in those groups, and, and those are good places to hang out with. I know with our AGD, Pennsylvania AGD. Um, our master track program has quite a few fever service dentists and we share ideas and bump ideas off of each other where you would never get that from just like uh even from uh from facebook or from yeah, yeah. you know dental town or things like that people will be willing to sh- open up and share their stories with you a little more when you're with the mm-hmm. face I, I would encourage dentists to join these type of groups for sure also yeah, that's one of the fun things about doing the podcast that I've really enjoyed is just meeting people like yourself or people are so willing to share. Like people ask me, like they almost want me to be a consultant. And I'm like, listen, I, I, I can't charge you to do this. I will help you. I'll talk to you. I'll give you some other names of people. I know if you reach out to them, they'll be receptive to helping you. And I do think it's a kind of a really nice community. And it's not snipey you know it's not uh what snarky you know it's 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 pretty legit and i i appreciate that because there's a hell of a lot of really we won't, we won't professional go ones some of the other dental groups that are out yeah. there but you you can see the conversation with this group these are just these this the fever service forum has some great dentists in there i mean yeah. these are these quality these are, people these are good quality people and yeah. uh the questions they ask and some of the things that they, some of the, the tidbits and, and nuggets they, they give, it's, it's, about, it's very valuable. It's great stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right. Final question. Okay. Do you it. Could go, you could go back in time, anywhere, time or place. Where would you go and why? Go back anytime, any place. With anyone. Uh, I'd have to go back to college at Penn State <laughs> in my old fraternity house. <laughs> uh, you don't want to give too many more elaborations on that, do you? No, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That's going to be, we'll leave it to your imagination, folks. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. In my pleasure. Right. So, yeah. Dale, if you have anything you want to share in the in the show notes, like how people can reach you or get in touch with you. Um, uh, I'd appreciate it. And uh, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone that wants to reach out to me or just ask some questions, um, I'd be more than willing to help. Absolutely. Uh, the more dentists we can get for fee for service, the better it is for, for our profession. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. 
For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.